magic formula for success of having an innovation program is having a proselyter champion and having C-suite buy-in. So it starts with that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have one or or the other, if you have one or the other, you're still not there. Got to have both. That's the the catalytic um, element that makes enterprise innovation work. Uh, the other is don't fall into the mistake of of sequestering or making that available only to those who have an MD or PhD or an MBA. Everybody. If you want to drastically improve your business, learn proven growth strategies, and generate sustained results for your organization, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Innovation Junkies Podcast. Hey guys, Jeff Standards here. Welcome to another episode of the Innovation Junkies Podcast. I'm here with my partner, Jeff Amaran. How are you doing, Jeff? I'm doing great. Happy to be on today. I'm looking forward to this episode. Yeah, I am as well. Let's uh, let's just hop right into it. How about we do that? Sounds great. So today we are we are honored and it's our pleasure to have Dr. Thomas Graham uh, with us. He's world-renowned for his work in orthopedic hand surgery. He's a healthcare executive. Uh, he's a best-selling author, uh, inventor, and entrepreneur. Uh, most recently, uh, Dr. Graham joined Kettering Health in Dayton, Ohio in spring of 2021, where he now serves as their senior vice president and their inaugural chief innovation and transformation officer. Uh, he leads the Charles F. Kettering Innovations, which is the health systems technology transfer and entrepreneurship arm. We are so honored to have you with us today, Dr. Graham, and we look forward to the conversation. Appreciate that greatly. Absolutely. So, hey, Jeff, before we before yeah. yeah before we launch into into the really topical matters, we like to have a sort of silly random musing at the beginning of every episode, and and today we thought it would be interesting to find out what everybody's favorite sitcom is. So Dr. Graham, what's your, what's your favorite sitcom? If you have one and it's okay to say, you know, you hate sitcoms, I guess. No, no, no. I love entertainment of all types. You know, honestly, I love Gilligan's Island. <laughs> I, I thought it was like, what, those people got to be able to get off of that Island yeah. and just the way that they constructed the cast and represented so many, you know, viewpoints and perspectives and socioeconomic issues. I, I always got a kick out of that. Plus I had a crush on Marianne. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Jeff, what about you? You know, I, I have to say I was going to go the Gilligan's route too. Cause <laughs> I'm kind of a, I'm kind of a Gilligan, you know, and uh, I was going to go that route, but, but I'll have to say, um, I'll, I'll go a little more recent since Dr. Graham stole my thunder on Gilligan, but uh, I, I got to say the Big Bang Theory, you know, I I just fell in love with the Big Bang Theory because you have all these scientists living together, you know, they, they don't have a social life. The the writing behind it was absolutely some of the most clever writing that I've ever that I've ever seen. Uh, so so uh, in in days past Gilligan's Island, but in the in the present tense or, or not so distant past was uh, was Big Bang Theory. Well, so, and so I'll take I'll take the liberties of going old, not quite as old and, and recent. So my old favorite is Beverly Hillbillies. Oh, yeah. I'm a big Jethro Bodine fan, I guess. <laughs> and that was kind of the same vintage as Gilligan's Island, which I watched regularly. The, the, the medium range in the past 25 years would probably be Seinfeld. I thought that some of the humor in Seinfeld was 
pretty spectacularly good. The things like the soup, not Nazi and, and Kramer. And then more recently, uh, and maybe more topical, I really, uh, thought that Silicon Valley that was on mm-hmm. HBO was pretty hilarious. And, and some of those things, which were intended to be situational comedy were a little true to life based on some of the experiences I've had. So, so those were, I, I took some liberties, but those were mine. You know, they just don't make them like Gilligan's Island, Beverly Hillbillies, Andy Griffith, you know, yeah. some of those yeah. kinds of things. So yeah, no I was doubt. a big, I was a big Don Knotts fan too. Absolutely. Uh, all right. Well, how about, how about we hop in it? So, um, uh, Dr. Graham, you most recently moved over to to Kettering from uh, from Cleveland Clinic, uh, where you pioneered Cleveland Clinic's transformation or, or, or technology transfer and innovation function there. And so, I'd like to maybe start start today by talking a little bit about just just the concept that you refer to as mission driven innovation. Can you tell us a little bit about what that is and how you see that? And we'll we'll transition kind of into how that plays into healthcare. Sure. You know. It's always difficult to define innovation, isn't it? It's one of the most sought after individual and corporate characteristics, but people struggle with the ability to to wrap their mind around it. And right now, if you drive down the road, you'll see innovation on every billboard or switch on the TV. It's discussed on every commercial, it seems. You know, for us, it, it's just leveraging your creative culture to improve and extend human life and create economic opportunity for individuals, institutions, and the communities we serve. We think that's very well aligned with our mission, right? Mm. Most hospital or healthcare system missions are similar and they should be, uh, care for the sick, investigate their problems, train future leaders, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, We think that being at the vanguard of solving the unmet need is just as relevant to what we do uh, on a daily basis. And, And that really sums it up. I hope that that translates and or is translatable, scalable to every organization who wishes to get into the, into the real practice of innovation. You know, as a, as a follow-up, I'd really be curious about your thoughts. We, we tend to sometimes think of healthcare as being reactionary. It's reactive to indications. Uh, What, what are your thoughts about the direction that uh, healthcare innovation is going as it relates to prevention or early intervention, where, where, talk to us a little bit about what you see happening in that regard. It's just as much in the portfolio as, right, catching up with the latest cancer drug or, or, or device. I think as we're able to, to imbibe and metabolize data better, um, not just on the episodic manner that we've done it, just like we've rendered care on an episodic manner, now that we have an ability to look more holistically at the individual or larger communities, I think we now have the luxury and potentially really the responsibility of looking at the full spectrum of care, which goes from functional wellness, maybe nutrition and everything else that goes with that wellness imprimatur, sleep, stress management, et cetera, all the way through acute and chronic uh, management of injuries and disorders through actual performance, enhancing performance. So I think that we now have opened the aperture and not looked at what it, what changes can I make to this hunk of metal that I stick into somebody in the operating room mm-hmm. and changed it dramatically. And I, and I think prevention, um, both on the individual and the community level, is, is the result of that. 
and then you sprinkle in a little precision medicine and that's another whole topic. But I, I, I think now we understand that the power of, of uh, both the, the delivery and the digital components can come together and make us more effective uh, at what I call strategic innovation. You know, I heard you say in, in one of your, your, your online talks, I think it was Singularity, where you said that at Cleveland Clinic, you guys had somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 uh, royalty producing uh, uh, agreements in place or inventions in place. Whether it's there or, or now at Kettering, what proportion, just, I don't know, uh, kind of uh, guesstimate, I guess, what proportion are you seeing of, of more digital health types of solutions coming to the sure. forefront versus traditional device inventions and yeah. what have you? Great question. You know, way back when, you know, innovations began with a small eye and nobody really knew what you were talking about when we kind of put together, um, you know, I think I was the inaugural chief innovation officer in all healthcare back in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. um, our portfolio has always been the four Ds, drug, device, digital, and delivery. And right now mm -hmm. the last two go together two-thirds to three-quarters of our of our portfolio is device you know maybe you're an institution that has uh medicinal chemistry drug development and that and that can be kind of put off in a little bit different because i think as we all know that pathway is very long um and, and a little different so let's just let's just put an asterisk by that a second mm -hmm. it's completely flipped now you know two and a half decades uh ahead of this now where really everything's digital you know every darn pill probably has a digital component to it as do right. do you know devices that have um a capability of given information so i i don't think there's any doubt that there's still a role for shiny metal objects and that's how i got into it that's how we started cleveland clinic innovations um that's how most organizations who are starting to move into innovation find themselves that latent innovation that um, happens when you start a program where you go from zero to 60 in, in no time. You gave an example. I have a couple also. Often start with those hard assets. Yet to tell you the truth, and I now I'm sounding like I'm repeating myself, the way that we manage, uh, analyze, and act on the ones and zeros is really what uh, is driving a great deal of the innovation now. Yeah. You know, as you, as you look at, uh, some of the things that are being discussed as it relates to social determinants of health, I mean, I think that speaks to that idea of, of understanding some of the other factors that lead to things like metabolic syndrome and diabetes and all these sort of chronic issues that, that plague, uh, many parts of the population now. Where, where do you see that going? That speaks to the digital side of that, but what are the possibilities there? Remember a couple of minutes ago, we were just talking about, you know, intaking data, analyzing. I, I think the quantified self is going to move from just a few of us wearing, you know, step trackers, you know, to actual getting the information that reflects a person's life and health and then being able to make that personal mm -hmm. and actionable, where we have a relationship with that data, we might be gleaning, whether it is from something worn, something implantable, something in the home. Um, I think that's probably where a great deal of advancement is going to take place. You know, now it's a little bit of esoterica, 
mm-hmm. you know, wow, we scanned everything you put in your refrigerator so we know what's in there, so we know what you can make, and we know it's caloric intake, and we know you're diabetic, and, and kind of going on from there to, to make it a little bit more concrete and actionable. So that may sound overly broad, but I think taking the next step in maturation and discipline in the quantified self and turning it into uh, actionable prevention, maintenance, treatment uh, type of algorithms and and things we can deliver. Shifting gears a little bit, I'd I'd love to get your perspective on um, scientists and researchers becoming innovators because there's a difference there, right? Uh, and, and commercial, commercializable innovators, you know, we've, uh, having worked a lot with, with, uh, medical researchers that they are the experts and have been the experts in their entire careers. And then when they, they develop an invention or, or a, 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 a potential idea or a potential invention, they have innovation folks like us saying, well, let's do some customer discovery. Let's really get out there and understand from the end users and from the economic decision makers and how big is the problem we're solving and is it big enough that it would warrant a profitable ongoing concern if it were to be commercialized. Have you had that experience? And and if so, how have you overcome that within changing the culture of a research institution to that of an innovative uh, commercialization engine, so to speak? Yeah, you've really packed a lot into really the discussion of of research with development, not research mm-hmm. and development, right? Right, right. What I think you're getting toward is I've, I've long tried to, de- first of all, let's, let's understand that I, I am so proud of our academic medical centers and research universities and how they remain uh, on the frontier mm-hmm. of identifying unmet needs. What we, what we advance um, with the work that's being done at the bedside and laboratory bench Many people, let's say in the venture community, think these things are born on third base. Those of us who've dedicated our careers to innovation and what I call organic innovation um, have entertained all these folks who walk in and say, I'm an early stage investor. And when you tell them what you really do, they can't wait to run out the door. They don't understand <laughs> what it takes to go from a napkin idea to first in man. OK, exactly. Let's That's start right. there. But what you're really highlighting, I think, is the difference between the clinical driven innovation and let's say the research driven innovation. I've mm-hmm. always talked about the virtuous cycle problem uh, identified at the bedside. Wow, that's the third time that I've seen that implant fail exactly the same place. Let me put my mind to that. Let me go into my workshop, figure it out. It then takes uh, a, a cycle of of investment, divestment, prototyping, engineering, regulatory, all the beating up you, you do in the long peripatetic journey that we all know is innovation to be delivered back to the bedside. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be, the clinician has always known that they've had that relationship, let's say with industry, they've been in a vendor client relationship before. I think researchers sometimes subvert that because they're used to I don't want to study something. Let's get a grant. Let's present and talk about it, which sometimes also threatens the actual patenting process. Let's talk about that. And then they just want to keep that going. And when you come over from the commercialization side, you're sometimes looked at as kind of almost sullying those individuals who are dedicated to, uh, to the discovery science. Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I've spent a lot of my time trying to build those bridges trying to have individuals understand 
both from a, uh, a, a, an aspirational standpoint and a practical standpoint. Not bad to turn the lights on, keep the lights turned on or pay for your graduate students or buy a couple beakers. Mm-hmm. So I, I think introducing the academician, the discovery scientist to the concept of commercialization, assisting them by having the innovation nucleus have individuals that speak their language who are, are patrolling the corridors of the laboratory, not mm-hmm. just passively rebounding ideas. Mm-hmm. You know, we have these situations like, hey, what are you working on? Jet fuel. Like, what's happening? Well, we figured out you can increase the efficiency of jet engines by 25%. Well, what are you doing with that? Well, who would want that? Like, it's just yeah. a research interest of mine. Yeah. Um, I picked something outside of healthcare as an exemplar. But the, the idea sure. yeah. is <laughs> innovation. Again, innovation isn't you can wear jeans on Friday and bring your dog to work and play Frisbee. It's a discipline that that needs to be practiced. Yeah. And when you put in the right infrastructure and architecture, when you put in the right processes, when you inform people, that one and first culturally that their ideas are important, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. their ideas have value. Everybody's an expert. I don't care whether you work on the loading dock or you are a dock, you probably have ways of improving what, what's going on at your organization. Once you build that lightning rod, which is an innovation capacity, all of a sudden people say, wait a minute, I'm not going to shove this in the drawer, mm-hmm. throw it away, or I, you know, nobody cares what I think. That's the worst outcome imaginable. Dr. Brown has a great idea, but she doesn't have access to a, a, an innovation infrastructure. Like she mm-hmm. goes, eh, forget about it. I'll just put it in the drawer. No patients are helped. The inventor doesn't benefit. The institution doesn't advance. Jobs aren't created. Mm-hmm. That's That was the whole idea. I, I grew up in Appalachia. Mm-hmm. I, I watched the steel industry and pottery industry disintegrate. And so I've dedicated a significant portion of my time to, to transition our state economy from an industrial base to a knowledge base. Mm-hmm. But you got to do it in a way that has that, that level of discipline and It's a process-oriented, metrics-driven game. As you probably know, my clinical practice is dedicated to the care of professional athletes mostly. It ain't a a game till you keep score. Right. And and you got to keep score and innovation. So are you finding as well that that the showcasing of successful ideas breeds more ideas coming to the forefront? And so are you you actively involved in showcasing some of those rock stars? Well, listen, I, I, I... I'm not a, I'm not averse to a little theater, right? <laughs> I love thought, I love thought leadership forums, ideas, festivals. I love uh, programs that can be celebrated. We all can think of Shark Tank. Let me tell you something. I think it's the greatest thing because it's turned people on to entrepreneurship. Mm-hmm. And again, that idea that they're, that, that, that their creative thought is important. So yeah, we like to bring in, we like to bring individuals from the outside and speak about it. We like to celebrate our own uh, inventors and innovators. We like to uh, reward them. And by the way, recruitment, retention, and reward is another great yeah. benefit of having an innovation program. Like if an individual is trying to decide between this university and that hospital to go practice and they believe that they're innovative, which I think probably everybody does. It's one of the mm-hmm. few things if you're told you're innovative, everybody smiles that um, they may, they'll come to your institution, but even though the weather's terrible, <laughs> right? And that's what that was kind of what we leveraged a, a lot here in the upper tier of the Midwest. So um, yeah, it, it doesn't hurt when one person pulls in the, 
pulls in the garage and they're driving a, a Yugo and one drives in in a Cadillac and say, wait a minute, we have the same job. What's going on? Well, I invented some trinket and I have a benefit from it. <laughs> yeah. And, exactly. you know, I, I just think there's a lot of ways that innovation can insinuate itself in an organization and the wins are not just monetary. They're not, you know, just counting the number of patents or royalty bearing license or spin out companies. There's a lot of enculturation that happens. And from that comes a lot of pride in the organization. Uh, and that pride is transferred to the communities we serve. And sometimes, you know, Dr. Graham, and I'd be really interested in your thoughts on this. It's a long process to go from having sort of an island of a few innovators and then the rest of the organization focused on operational efficiency, kind of the day-to-day, do no harm, take care of the immediate needs versus a culture of innovation where it's pervasive. And, and what, what, you know, as you think about what advice you might give others that are early in that journey of really trying to get that cultural transformation towards building a lasting, sustainable culture of innovation that goes across the organization, what, what bits of advice would you give in that regard? Yeah. The magic formula for success of having an innovation program is having a proselyter champion and having C-suite buy-in. So it starts with that. Mm-hmm. If you don't have one or or the other, if you have one or the other, you're still not there. Got to have both. That's the, the catalytic um, element that makes enterprise innovation work. Uh, the other is don't fall into the mistake of of sequestering or making that available only to those who have an MD or PhD or an MBA, everybody, the Pareto principle operates 80, 20. And if you only expose that process to the, what you consider your top tier of potential innovators, you're going to reduce even further the output innovation again, needs to be celebrated. The ward clerk's going to have a great idea. Uh, you know, you just have to be able to distribute, um, that that concept and then the other is move from opportunistic innovation the eureka right that's what everybody thinks of i think about innovation to synergistic innovation putting ideas together inside and outside your institution even with potential competitors innovation is not a competitive platform i can't steal ideas from somebody's head and yes i understand the uspto but collaborate even with that organization across town who you might be contributing for the next baby being born or next total knee being done, you can collaborate on innovation. But take take it to that last step, which is the holy grail of innovation, which is strategic innovation. Innovate around something. Now, that might be something that you pull your organization, et cetera. It usually comes down into just a couple different domains. It's access, outcome. You might want to call that quality, patient experience, and then operational efficiency. Uh, if you asked one of the one of the consultants, they'd have 188 different parameters. It comes down to those four things because that's what you compete over uh, on the other side. So when you do compete, you want to be optimizing those things. And your people, I guarantee it, have ideas on how to advance your organization toward improvement in one or more of those. And, and when you talk about those four uh, things around which to innovate, it's not relegated only to the research institutions. The, the community health center or the regional uh, health system down the street could, could rally around those four things with their staff and an innovation program as well. And might have a better laboratory. What do I mean by that? They are urban, suburban, and rural. They're mm-hmm. uh, a different socioeconomic 
that they have a different connectivity to their community. Keep going. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so on the community level, innovation ignites and translates into things like job, job growth, et cetera. Um, When you have med and ed. So if you already have those things, you have a little bit of a head start as we've shown in Pittsburgh, Cleveland, et cetera. Down here in Dayton, we add another one, Fed. We have, you know, 45,000 people working at the the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. So we Mm -hmm. actually have a troika of things that I I believe, and this is why I'm here, will redefine. You know, listen, Dayton was Silicon Valley last century, Mm -hmm. period, end of report. Most patents per capita, you know, it's where Kettering and Patterson and Thomas Watson, all of them came out of data. Uh, Dayton, if you if you drove a car today, thank Dayton. If you flew in a plane last week, thank Dayton. If you drew a drink a cold drink today, thank Dayton. And that's why we I believe this is a perfect cauldron to rediscover it. And again, why I'm at the, an institution whose the name of Charles F. Kettering is right on the front, second only to to. Uh, 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 trying to think of who has the most patents, guys, help me out. Uh, uh, Edison, Edison um, yeah. in the number of patents, you know, he invented the electric starter, he invented Freon, you know, <laughs> yeah. unbelievable what these folks did. And that, that's what motivates me. Again, can you translate it from the individual to the entire community and beyond? You mm-hmm. know, the only net new job creator in our country the last 10 years are companies less than five years old. That's right. About half of those came out of healthcare. So let's just do the math. Mm-hmm. Right. This is how important the work you're doing and the individuals listening to this podcast are to our American economy. And you might you might guess I'm a bit of a patriot. Right. Hey, um, I love it. And so the idea is there, you know, my dad, who was a industrialist, would, would say what's better. The only thing better is making American flags out of cotton is we're doing things that can improve the health of of your loved ones because. There's only one. I'm a I'm an upbeat, optimistic guy. There's only one bummer. I got to tell you, everybody's going to be a patient one day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I was for two years. I was the sickest man on the face of the earth for two years. Mm-hmm. I was in the hospital, so I know it. So in a, I'm not a dilettante. I'm a, I'm the poster boy for innovation. It saved my life, and I've dedicated a significant part of my part of my career for it. That's why we are helping other organizations. I have a meeting later on today with an organization from Atlanta who wants to stand up their innovation capacity. We started something called the Global Healthcare Innovation Alliance, where we helped uh, other medical centers, research universities, government labs, and then ultimately commercial companies to innovate. People already figured out why we were helping um, Northwell or MedStar develop their innovation capacity. They thought it was kind of interesting that we helped Notre Dame. I said, we never, we, Cleveland Clinic didn't have a football team. That's why I had to do that. <laughs> NASA, you know, what's, what's a better example of, of innovation than thousands of people worried about two or three people in the harshest environment and miniaturization and performance of materials and things like that. And then they were kind of shocked that we partnered with, uh, with Parker Hannafin. Uh, some people know it, some people don't. They're a $14, $15 billion motion control giant, uh, 400 or so parts in your car or your airplane. And people ask me why we, you know, how'd you figure that out? I said, well, we talked to them, number one. And mm-hmm. second, like, what do you do? Well, probably nothing you'd be interested in. We flow fluid through tubes with valves in them. Oh, really? Just like our <laughs> urologist and cardiologist think about every day? All of a sudden, you have a half a, half a billion dollar medical device portfolio. 
you have to be prepared to ask the questions and understand how those answers fit in a bigger matrix that we're all building together. Um, and that's what makes me proud. You know, we're one of the founding members of HIPS, Healthcare Innovators Professional Society. We finally started a professional society for the, with the original 33 uh, chief innovation officers. Uh, give Toby Hamilton uh, from Texas a lot of the credit of that. But now mm-hmm. we can now we can we can talk about it. You know, we're, most of us are scabbed over, but not healed in yet. Innovation's hard. It's <laughs> yeah, nonlinear, right. long to success, yeah. fraught with failure. And like I said, if I hear one more time, too early, too risky. Yeah, I get that. Where do you think this stuff comes from? Yeah. So we we now are sharing uh, everything we can. We, I, I don't think you know, the, that Roy Rosen at Penn or, you know, these folks are not, we're not competing. We're trying to help each other mm-hmm. because I know yeah. I have a lock on my campus and somebody else may have the key. And if mm-hmm. we don't open that, that ability to communicate and put things together and share not only the information, but the success, then we're going to go nowhere as an innovation ecosystem. We could go on for hours and hours. We're talking with Dr. Thomas Graham, uh, Chief Innovation and Transformation Officer at Kettering uh, Health System. Uh, You will want to check out his book called Innovation, the Cleveland Clinic Way. Uh, uh, Dr. Graham, where can they find that and where can our listeners connect with you uh, best? Uh, Oh, it's a it's available on on Amazon, et cetera. My only claim to fame is I knocked the Shark Tank guy, Draymond John, off the bestseller list one week. (laughs) um that's pretty good that's good bestseller list i have a lot of respect for him actually um i'm at kettering health in dayton we're a dynamic regional growth oriented system 14 hospitals you know 15 16,000 employees we're we're really proud of what we do um as our, our our collection uh of acute care hospitals form a high performing network we uh, we're the official healthcare provider of the Cincinnati Bengals. You know we're we, we're doing a lot of stuff right. And again, when you have a head start like that of having Charles Kettering's name on your building, you better you better do that. So we're really proud to be a, a faith based, mission driven, high innovation environment that uh, again is celebrating our heritage uh, both on an individual level, Charles Kettering, and on a on a regional level you know, representing Dayton, who, like I said, has been so important to this country's advancement of creative thought. Well, it is a pleasure having you with us today. And it's certainly an honor as well. We thank you for so much for your time. Thank you. Thanks really appreciate on. it. Best of success to everybody. And I'm an easy guy to find. And like I said, uh, innovation gets supercharged by, by partnership. And we're always open to that. Fantastic. Fantastic. This has been another episode of the Innovation Junkies podcast. Thank you for joining. Thank you, gentlemen. Feedback from listeners like you helps us create outstanding content. So if you like this episode, be sure to rate us or leave a review. Also, don't forget to subscribe to get the latest growth and innovation strategies. Thanks for tuning in to the Innovation Junkies podcast.